A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. It is the start of a brand new month today, the very same month that one year ago saw life in this country changing into something fairly recognisable. Talking to people over the weekend, there is definitely a sense out there that we have now become way too accepting of some rules and some regulations that we would previously have ignored. But we have also become immune to some of the things the government is trying to make us do as well. The weather in some parts of Britain conspired yesterday to encourage more people than ever to hit the beaches, the parks and the open markets of this great country of ours. However, stories of overzealous police, over-enthusiastic revellers and secret parties have been reaching me more and more. I heard of some people being given a £200 fine in parts of London yesterday because they were two miles from their homes. This can't be right and it can't be going on and it has to stop. This morning we're kicking off with Lee Anderson, Tory MP for Ashfield of course and he's going to have plenty to say about the Times front page this morning about more pretty Patel measures to crack down on people smuggling across the channel. Given what Nigel Farage told Talk Radio on Saturday it seems there is still an awful lot left to do. He basically said that not only uh, were the migrants still coming on dinghies across the channel but some of them are now bringing Covid with them at the same time. 0344 499 1000 coming up later on Peter Hitchens joins us. Uh, he revealed yesterday in his Mail on Sunday column that he's taken the vaccine and admitted defeat against the government's lockdown policy. Ever since, he's been accused of everything from betrayal to letting down the entire lockdown sceptics movement. I'll be asking him why. 0344 499 1000. Even Dan Hodges has ridden to his rescue today. Also, we'll be bringing you the latest from the triumphant rally last night in Florida for President Donald Trump. He was back to his old self, firing on all cylinders and taking no prisoners. There's no doubt he is still a powerful personality and a massive influence still on America. We'll be checking in with his former aide, Sebastian Gorka, later on. 0344 499 1000. We'll also keep you updated on the mystery COVID-positive patient who track and trace seem not to have been able to track uh, or indeed trace. And we'll let you know what Rishi Sunak is planning uh, for the budget this week after I called for him yesterday to end the furlough scheme altogether. As ever, of course, we want to hear from you. What did you do at the weekend? What did you hear? What did you see? Uh, what are you being told by your employer? What are you being told by your school if you've got kids in it? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've got loads of stories to talk about today. There's literally a bulging um, sort of a big file of things that have happened that I need to get to you, including, of course, uh, the latest clip uh, from uh, Haz and Megs 
And we'll be doing a bit of that later on as well. First up, though, let's talk to Lee Anderson, Conservative MP for Ashfield. Lee, very good morning to you. Welcome back. Hello, Lee. Are you there? Yes, can you hear me? I can indeed. There we go. There's a little bit of a glitch on the line. First thing, Monday morning's bound to be difficult, isn't it? Always tricky. Uh, how was your weekend, Lee? How's things going in Ashfield? What's, uh, uh, what's new and exciting? It's going great, Mike. Um, our vaccination process has rolled out really, really good. We had a slow start across the whole of Nottinghamshire, actually. We was a little bit behind, but we've caught up. We've got two, uh, two really good vaccination centres. You know, we're doing two or 3,000 a day. I think over a third of people that's been uh, uh, in Ashford have actually had the vaccination now. So we're rolling out to the over 60s, which is good guns. Got no excuses now. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Let's crack on. Let's get back to normal. Absolutely right. Well, listen, lots of people at the weekend, you would think, thought they were back to normal. Um, but we've got to stop this business of policemen going up to people and saying, where do you live and what are you doing here, haven't we? Common sense is required, Mike, and it works both ways, I believe. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're luckily in, in, in Ashfield, the police have been pretty good so far, but I've seen other parts of the country where they've been a little bit overzealous, should we say, yeah. uh, a bit too keen. But then again, you know, we've got people who are ignoring the rules and the rules are for everybody. And as I would say, let's come together and let's use a bit of common sense. We're nearly there. Let, let's uh, please, you know, just lay off a little bit yeah. and, and revelers, just use a bit of common sense. Because, you know, we, we want to have a good summer in this country. We've, we've missed out on a year. Uh, and, yeah, just just yeah, just be mindful that... Yeah, yeah. Know, but, I country, mean, the thing, is, the thing about the rules, Lee, is that some of the rules, yes, are uh, obviously having to be adhered to, but not all really, do they? I mean, if you're going to go to Borough Market, which is about 50 yards away from this office here, to go and buy yourself a pasty, and you're going to walk round to the river and sit, and sit down and eat it, I mean, you hardly really... Uh, Getting, getting yourself racking up for a £200 fine, are you? Whereas if you are, in fact, having a house party with 50 people in it, that's a different ballgame. Well, it is, yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, Mark, I've given up on the pasties. And I think a few of us uh, <laughs> you know, would be well advised to give up on the pasties these listen, days. Listen, I that's very go... harsh. Very harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go for a... I do a 10-mile walk every day now. One thing that lockdown has taught me is I, I was too fat. Uh, I was unhealthy. Yeah. And you know what? If I, if I go on a 10-mile walk and that takes me three, three and a half hours and, and, and a, you know, walk five miles away from home, so what? Sorry, mm. I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, let's hope you don't run into any of the cops that were running at Barrow Market yesterday because they've been telling you you've gone too far. But let's talk a bit about your other um, uh, big subject, which you've written to the Prime Minister about and to Priti Patel about as well. Front page of the Times this morning, people smugglers will be jailed for life. Vows Priti Patel. Now, this comes after Nigel Farage was on talk radio at the weekend saying that he had found out that not only were the dinghies still coming across the channel, um, but now they were coming across with people who were testing positive with COVID. Yeah, it seems wrong, don't it, that uh, we've got all these all these restrictions on travel at the moment. We've dined up the borders at the airports and the docks, and we've still got the people smugglers bringing people over. The worrying part is, I'm being told from government that we're actually stopping at least 70% of these uh, these crossings, right. the people that's coming for France. But you know what? I don't think the French are doing enough. You know, new legislation is coming. Uh, it's going to put a stop to this, as I've said before, Mike. Uh, and well, you know, when is it coming, thing, only? Well, it's coming this year, Mike. I mean, I've been told by the Home Office that the legislation is being worked on. I hope to see it before the summer. I want to get it debated in Parliament. I want to have my say. I want to speak up on behalf of the people of Ashford who have been contacting me this weekend, actually. They've had, they've had enough of this. 
But you know what? We have to get a proper returns policy as well for these illegal immigrants. Let's remember they are illegal immigrants. They're not genuine asylum seekers. And the problem we've got at the moment, the French won't even accept our shellfish. Mm. So that's going to be a problem, accepting illegal immigrants. But I'm sure uh, Pretty will get to grips with it. I've got every, every confidence. And she's the only person that can do this. So, Listen, I, yes, I'm, I have every confidence that she will too. But she needs to get on with it because an awful lot of people that speak to me say... Why is this still going on? Because let's not forget, the weather's getting better, not worse. So this problem is going to get worse before it gets uh, any better, when when it gets calmer and nicer and sunnier. Yeah, I totally agree, Mike. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating for me. You know, I, I like to say my inbox is full of this, this nonsense. But you know what? We've had COVID to put up with, Brexit is to sort out. We've not, we're not at work at the moment. We're not working properly. We're not in Parliament. We're not debating. And let's not forget that there are people in Parliament, there are MPs and there are members of the public that actually support these crossings. And whether we like it or not, we have to give them their right to have their say in Parliament. And I can't wait to have a go at them in Parliament over this. You know, the Labour Party are stuck on this one. They, they don't know what to say. They've, they've actually said nothing right. over the past year since we've had this, had this problem. So, but yeah, let's sure, get I mean, surely, now, surely now, given what we discovered at the weekend, this is not simply a border force problem. This is now a public health problem, isn't it? If people are bringing something that we are trying to stop other, other people from spreading into the place illegally, then that's, uh, that's surely something that you can immediately stop. Well, well, exactly right, Mike. I mean, I have I have written to the immigration minister this morning, um, um, waiting for a response. It won't be a quick one because obviously you're going to get bogged down with lots of these. But I am speaking to other colleagues as well in the Common Sense Group. You know, we're all getting it in the neck, and rightly so. It's our job to represent, you know, the people of this great country of ours. Mm. And like I say, yes, we are getting it in the neck, and we need to make some noises. But you know what? The, the, the thing we have to do, the thing we really have to do is to make sure we get this legislation in. It's watertight and the people traffickers go somewhere else. And I welcome the news this morning that they're going to get life imprisonment. You know, I'd like, I'd like to see them getting life imprisonment on a desert island somewhere. Yes. You know, I don't even want to pay for these people. I mean, I don't, know what, I don't know what they do with Devil's Island these days, but that sounds like a pretty good place because you can't jump Great off. Idea. You have to count Great the waves idea. like they did in Papillon uh, to escape from it. And it's not very easy, I can tell you that. But, I mean, it does get people's goat when they find out that if they decide to, say, go away with their families, I know they're not at the moment, but if they were to come back into this country, they're forced to pay... 1700 quid to sit in a hotel for two weeks. These people are coming over illegally for free and being given a hotel for free. Yeah, I mean, we, we had this, we had a ridiculous situation a few weeks back where they were setting fire to their barracks uh, because that wasn't uh, mm. a deemed suitable accommodation. Right. Now, you know, if I, my way, if I'd have been in charge for that day, I would have made them repair them barracks mm. and, and, you know, find themselves lucky that they've uh, fled war-torn France yeah. and are in uh, <laughs> in some sort of comfort right. in this great country of ours. But mm. like I say, Mike, it's, you know, we are a democracy. Parliamentary process has got to play its part in this. And we've got to get new laws put in place and, and, and it'll solve it, I'm sure. But just very annoying that we're still seeing it happen every single well, day. Well, it is very annoying. And here's something that's going to annoy you even more, right? Because uh, I've seen this story in The Sun today about a fraudster from Nigeria, right, uh, who is not being sent home despite the fact that he was due to be sent home uh, because he has apparently claimed that he's bisexual and he won't be able to live in Nigeria openly as a bisexual. Now, he wasn't a bisexual before uh, he got deported, but he suddenly now uh, decided that he is. Tory MP Nigel Mills says it's the most ridiculous case I've ever heard. Every convicted criminal will now try this because it will work for them. Well, we see this time and time again, don't we? They claim they're going to get persecuted yeah. uh, if they return to their own country. Well, I'll say, you know what, so what? You've come over here, you've made a nuisance of yourself, you've been a criminal in our country, 
you've cost us thousands and thousands of pounds through the judicial system, the court system and with policing. Go back. Um, and if you're persecuted, you brought it on yourself. Well, exactly right. Very refreshing to always hear you say these things, Lee, because very few MPs talk the way you do. I mean, similarly, we had a debate on Friday about Shemima Begum uh, and the decision made rightly, in my view, by the Supreme Court to deny her the access to this country that she wants to have. She made her bed. She's got a lie in it, hasn't she? Well, yeah, absolutely right, Mike. I mean, the one thing I, I don't get about this lady is... Uh, she just she shows no remorse no. whatsoever. You no. see the interviews, and it's like you know it's an everyday occurrence. If these people want to go to a foreign land uh, and join a terrorist organisation, then as far as I'm concerned, you can stop there for the rest of your life. You're not welcome back here. Uh, and the court's made the right decision, and let's hope that she stays out of this country for good. We've had enough of these sort of people. Yeah, exactly right. Let's talk about Rishi Sunak for a moment. Budget day on Wednesday, obviously going to be a big uh, uh, moment for an awful lot of people, particularly businesses in this country who have suffered so much over the past year. Um, what's your message to Rishi Sunak on what he should do? Um, my message to him yesterday was that he should start thinking about doing away with the furlough altogether and actually getting people back to work, opening up the economy uh, and getting yeah. on with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we need to get back to it, Mark, ASAP. You know, we've got the worst recession for 300 years. Uh, there's no appetites for cuts. So we can't return back to austerity. We need to, to, to work as well. And I'll tell you what I would like to see. I'd like to see the uh, the business rate scrapped uh, on less than 30 grand. Uh, sorry, less than uh, the, the 50 grand, mm. uh, Mark. You know, our high street needs a boost. Yeah. yeah, the threshold. The high streets need a boost. Our shops need a boost. Our pubs, our restaurants. I welcome the news of the grants. Uh, but please don't, you know, please don't try and tax us way out of this situation. Let's encourage our businesses who have had a torrid time mm. over the past year. And, you know, I spoke to a, a colleague yesterday when I was out on my 10-mile uh, walk who runs his own engineering, civil engineering company. And he's actually telling me now he can start, he's starting to see the green shoots of recovery. His, his orders are starting to come in. So we're going to have a bit of a surge when we come out of this. I'm sure we are like we did last year when we come out of the, mm. the uh, first lockdown. But I would say this is a budget for jobs uh, and it's a budget for business. And you know what? Poor old Captain Einstein, you don't know which way to turn now, does he? <laughs> all of a sudden, he's the party of business. Uh, he wants to return to austerity without he's talking. So, yeah. Uh, well, it's all, right for those, it's all right for those people. I just saw a story today that Angela Rayner decided it'd be a great idea to buy some of those new uh, earbud pros, you know, the iPod pros, uh, to put in her ears, uh, 250 quid, and then she charged it to me. So I'm now picking up the bill. Well, I've got a pair. My, my earphones, Mike, are what I got for a Ryanair flight about 10 years ago. I think it cost about 50 pence. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if she's uh, charging charging the taxpayer for some, uh, some some designer earphones, then again, socialism in work. Like I said last time, keep it up, Angela. It's, it's acts like that that keep people like me in these red war seats mm. in a job. Well, exactly right. And it's any wonder that they're never going to get those people back because they lost Scotland to the SNP. My view is that they've lost the north of England, where you are, Lee, uh, and all the seats north of you, um, and they're never getting them back. Well, exactly right. I mean, they're actually clueless at the moment, uh, the Labour Party. Are they not? I mean, Captain Hindsight, bless him, he, he just waits <laughs> for the next bandwagon to, 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 to come along. He jumps on it, right. not knowing which bandwagon it is, right. hoping that these policies make him sound popular. But he's cutting no ice with the people in, 
people in Ashfield and in the north and in the Midlands, they think, you know, think it's a bit of a joke at the moment. Mm. Bring back Jeremy Corbyn. Let's have some sensible politics. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? I mean, this is a bloke who's not even popular now with the people who thought he'd be the most popular leader they could they, they could actually vote in. I mean, even the people who thought he was the answer now don't think he's the answer. Well, he's not the answer. Even people in his own party, I mean, a quick look on social media, Twitter, the left actually detest it. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, for me, he's great. He's, he's my pension. He's my pension fund uh, gift on because he keeps me in a job for the next 15, 20 years. Absolutely useless. Mm. Uh, it's like it's like watching paint dry at the, the dispatch box. And I tell you what, if you're struggling to sleep, if you've got insomnia, put one of his speeches on it in, in the Commons and you'll be fast asleep within five minutes. <laughs> and mind you, at least he makes the, um, uh, the the Liberal Democrats look interesting. But I mean, they've just disappeared off the face of the earth. Haven't they? I saw Ed David the other day had a question at uh, PMQs. I completely forgotten he even existed. The problem with the Lib Dems, I heard their minibus has broken down, so they can't get to work anymore. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. It's amazing, isn't it? But, I mean, the, 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 the kind of the landscape now is great for, for Boris Johnson and the Tory party, but they've really got to get more conservative, I think, Lee. I mean, I know you're a man who speaks his mind, and I'm very, very happy that you do that. But we do need to give Boris a bit of a sort of a kick up the backside, don't we? And say, look, come on, mate. Do what you said you were going to do. You got Brexit done, but let's get the economy moving. We know he wants to. You know, I saw another uh, one of these sage people this morning say, oh, we might have to be careful. We might go backwards if we open the economy. You know, enough already. Yeah, it's, it's time now that the politicians took over from sage and started running the country. We have had a tough year, to be fair to the boss. Uh, but, you know, I, I meet with him on, on a regular basis. And, you know, the things he says to me, you know, the things he wants to happen in places like Ashfield in the north, tick all the boxes for me. Mm. He knows he knows that the north and the midlands are going to be our heartlands over the next 15, 20 years. Uh, and he's got to wrap his arms around us uh, and deliver on the promises he made during the election campaign. And I think he will do. You know, I've, I've had a few million quid thrown at me already in Ashfield. I'm excited about future plans for this place and for the north. And I would say give him a chance and, and Boris will deliver like he delivered when he was the mayor of London. Absolutely right. Lee, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Lee Anderson, MP, Conservative MP for Ashford. Looking very trim, I have to say. Uh, looking very fit. Goes on a 10-mile walk every day. Don't tell the cops, right? Because the cops around here in London uh, apparently were giving people £200 fines yesterday when they told them that they lived two miles away from an open-air food market where you can go and buy food, but you can't eat it, apparently. You're not allowed to sit down. You've got to eat it on the run. You've got to eat it walking. You can't sit down. This is ridiculous now, isn't it? Totally and utterly ridiculous. I was at the beach yesterday. Some of you may have seen my uh, video, which included Ziggy the dog uh, from the beach, where I talked about Rishi Sunak and the uh, whole furlough situation. But there were loads of people walking around. I didn't know any of them, right? Why can't I meet somebody that I know? Wouldn't that be possible? Wouldn't that be okay? Wouldn't that be not entirely within keeping of the rules? I mean, you know, do me a small favour. We need the uh, economy opened up. We need it opened up sooner rather than later. I want to see a ramping up uh, of the uh, roadmap. I want to see it faster. I want to see it happening quicker. Uh, and I want to see Rishi Sunak not putting more taxes on us, not telling us that we have to be careful, not listening to these sage morons who keep telling us that, you know, whatever we do, uh, the, 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 the terrible uh, disease might come back and it might come back worse. No, that's not what we want to hear. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Loads of you are getting in touch. We do need to talk to you about what's been going on at the weekend because there seems to be a very different sort of pattern emerging in different parts of the country. Loads of pictures in the papers today of people uh, out in parks. Primrose Hill, for example, in North London, people sitting down having picnics, which is apparently not allowed. Uh, you can only walk around, apparently. You're not supposed to stop. I'm not quite sure how they figure this is going to happen. I mean, the only place that people can actually go right now is a park or a beach. And you do occasionally need to stop moving, don't you? What's wrong with that? People getting tickets, people getting fines uh, for being in Borough Market two miles from their home. I'm sorry, if it was me, I wouldn't be paying that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Tej Parrick, Chief Economist at the Institute of Directors, because we've seen a lot of activity over the weekend. Rishi Sunak was doing the rounds yesterday. Didn't really give too much away uh, on what he's likely to announce in his budget on Wednesday. Let's find out from Tej what he thinks. Tej, very good morning to you. Morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, it doesn't really seem that clear yet what's going to happen on Wednesday. What are you um, expecting? What are you hearing? No, traditionally, there's always a lot of rumours flying around in the first in the weeks before a budget. I think what we should expect is an extension to many of the existing COVID economic support packages. We might then see some suggestions or maybe even some moves from the Chancellor on potentially increasing taxes on on businesses uh, to, to try and recoup some of the costs of the pandemic. And then I think a lot of the stimulus type measures that that you know we've been calling for and, and many business organizations have been might be pushed into another fiscal event in the autumn i mean is it likely to be a sort of roadmap scenario which seems to be uh, the favorite phrase in downing street at the moment in terms of the uh, the plan going forward as it were so would he maybe say look we can't do this now but come september this is what's going to happen i think that's largely what we're expecting we know that in order to to put a lot of spending out there, you know, on the levels that we're seeing in the US, perhaps the Chancellor wants a bit more information on how the economy is evolving and how it opens up before he actually pulls the trigger on a few more of the stimulus measures. Mm. So I think what he's likely to say is, look, we'll extend things like the furlough scheme out a couple more months until we know the economy is going to open up safely, and then we'll kind of reassess in the autumn, what, what we need to do further. Right. I mean, a lot of people think the furlough scheme is a sort of superannuated uh, unemployment fund, effectively, because once it ends, an awful lot of those jobs will simply disappear. Is that your uh, sort of understanding of the furlough system or, or is it more nuanced than that? I think it's a bit more nuanced than that. I think a lot of people who are currently on the furlough scheme um, are in the retail, hospitality, accommodation sectors, which we know, um, you know aren't yet able to to open up and you know when they do and and social distancing comes into force and restrictions reduce then it it's important that those jobs are then still available because we know that those sectors are still going to be around so if the furlough scheme for those sectors have certainly provided an, an, an important bridge for them to survive this period and i think without it we would have seen far higher levels of redundancies and a lot more businesses collapsing. Yes, I think that's true. But I mean, uh, is there any opportunity, do you think, for, for, for Rishi, who we know is a great supporter of, of business and, and wants to get things back open again as quickly as possible? Is there any hope for any of those who support him in that, uh, getting the government to move a bit quicker than they are? I'm not, I, I think the way the 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 treasury um will kind of play this is that they'll probably say something like you know we would want to be cautious with the reopening of the economy because this stop start process that we saw last year 
basically means that the treasury then needs to tap back into extending various schemes and that just kind of increases the fiscal costs and outlay for them. So I think Rishi will also play a very cautious game and, and not want to kind of rush the op- reopening because he knows at the end of the day, if he rushes it and there is this explosion of infections, then a, a return to lockdown and tighter measures mean he'll need to tap back into uh, support packages. Yeah, but surely from the business perspective, the whole point of the vaccine rollout is that that should enable more things to open up because people will be less vulnerable and less in danger. Yeah, there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel for a number of businesses. And for them, they're also very careful around the fact that they know that if there is a surge in infections, then we don't want to go back into a lockdown. Now, that said, as you mentioned, what they really need now is um, clarity on how we open up. You know, many of them want to get a better understanding of what social distancing will look like as the economy opens up in June. Does that involve more costs for them? Does that involve them to make their workplaces safer in different ways? And I think that's the most important part for businesses. We've got the roadmap now. That allows them to do some planning. What they really need to understand next is what really does the world look like um, when we are open up? And you know, will there still be some forms of restriction with social distancing? Yes, I think the problem is, though, for the economy, Tej, and, and obviously the Institute of Directors, you would, I would imagine, side with this point of view, that, you know, if you sit around all time waiting for something terrible to happen, uh, you know, it might just happen. But surely the whole point of having vaccines and having, uh, you know, an ability to avoid disaster means that, you know, surely we have to go back to where we were. Yeah, I think with, with the roadmap that we have now, the, the, the most important thing is that businesses can actually get on with some productive activities. You know, they can start planning now for product launches and research in Q3 and Q4. And this is something that they weren't able to do. So, you know, the additional money that's been allocated towards the uh, vaccines and the kind of the, the, the success the UK have had on this so far is massively important to help businesses to actually engage in productive activities. Now, last year in the summer and in the autumn, because there just wasn't this clarity and obviously we hadn't heard any news on the vaccines, businesses couldn't really get on on the day-to-day processes that they needed to do, even if the economy was weak. So um, I think the roadmap gives us some plan ahead. Uh, The next stage is to ensure that the budget also kind of gives them a little little bit more of a boost and a cushion. Because some of the things that we've seen, and I expect I expect you, like me, uh, are going to say, well, this may or may not happen. But, I mean, one of the suggestions last week in one of the papers was a sort of tax on very wealthy pensioners, 10,000 people who perhaps had, um, you know, um, pensions in excess of a million pounds. But they were going to raise something like 300 million as a result of, of charging them a little bit more tax. And it seems to me that that's kind of a drop in the ocean. That's less money than they're currently handing out to the schools to reopen. So the numbers are so huge um, that, you know, I'm not sure they're ever going to catch up by putting on these little bits of tax here and there. Yeah, no. And then then, then there's been rumours around raising capital gains tax and corporation tax. I think the view for, for many businesses and I think most people around the economy right now is that what you want to ensure is that the the economic recovery is is, is shored up right now. And you don't want to be raising taxes just in case that, you know, elongates mm. are the business's ability to reopen and we right. know that you raise taxes that will slow down the recovery and actually conversely um it might mean that the chancellor needs to kind of 
claw back more funding if the economy isn't growing quick enough and mm. therefore we're not raising enough tax revenue. No, sure. Well, it'll be interesting times. Anyway, we shall see. Tej, thanks very much indeed. Tej Parrick, Chief Economist at the Institute uh, of Directors. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. It's now time to say a very, very good morning to Peter Hitchens. Peter, very good morning to you. Morning. Now, who knew when you put out your column on Sunday that you would become the focus of such opprobrium um, and nastiness from people who thought that somehow you'd uh, betrayed them, gone over to the other side, you know, finally sort of chucked in the towel and, you know, you must have been a shill all along kind of stuff? Well, I I wasn't actually terribly surprised, uh, but I thought that it was something I was was almost certainly going to have to endure. I I decided to tell people I had the blasted vaccination because uh, I believe very much honesty is the best policy I, I, I could perfectly easily have concealed it from everybody nobody ever need, needed know. So, so quite uh, but I've actually often found that in the short term honesty is seldom the best policy in the short term it gets <laughs> pelted with slime in the long term it has advantages but this is this I there are a lot of people uh, who are unreasonable supporters of both the pro-lockdown and the anti-lockdown mm. case and they are at large on Twitter. And when you're on Twitter and you're being attacked, you have to remember that most of the people doing it are sitting in basements, uh, quietly turning uh, sugary drinks into lard, uh, while, uh, while while appearing to be a menacing mob. Mm. I, I don't... I, I, the, the whole response has been completely irrational. I've admitted, uh, as it was time to do, and an opportunity to do, that it's quite plain that the sceptical skeptical campaign although it had all the best arguments and certainly won the debate, has lost the contest for the hearts and minds of the British people. Acceptance of the new health and safety state uh, and of its restrictions is at extraordinarily high levels. I still see, and my barometer for this is the number of people I see walking around in the open air, sometimes actually in the countryside, uh, with masks over their mouths and noses. Uh, no, No law. Uh, requires them to do this, they do it voluntarily because they they believe in the COVID cult and the COVID cult is extraordinarily excessive. Mm. If if you lose an election, for example, which I think is a similar thing to the loss which the sceptics have undergone, uh, by conceding that you've lost the election, you don't concede that, you're, that your ideas are wrong. Uh, the losing party doesn't put its hand and say, no, we're terribly sorry, everything we said was wrong, we're now going to commit uh, ritual suicide and vanish from sight. What they do is they go back and think, well, how can we actually try and get our ideas across better in future? And how can we get what we want in other ways? And that's what you have to do. Before you do that, you have to concede defeat. Otherwise, you end up like the Japanese soldier in the Philippines. Mm. Your rifle rusting to bits and your uniform in tatters, stalking the jungle, living off elderly squirrels, 
and swamp water. And what's the point of that? Oh, I mean, quite. Instead of pretending that you that you haven't been beaten, if you have, because uh, the, the, you will never win anything if you don't recognise defeat when it comes your way. I have to say, I have a lot of experience in being defeated. I, I remember trying to persuade people that, in 1995 and 96, that, that uh, a certain Anthony Blair was not a particularly good idea. I remember opposing the Kosovo War because I saw in it, I now recognize, I saw it in the makings of the Iraq War. Mm. Uh, for those things, I got an awful lot of abuse. And I could list all the, the causes I've taken out for which I've, I've had abuse. Very, very few of the things that I've, I've taken up have, have won, not because I was wrong, but because the public mood is turning against uh, rationality. And this is one of those. But, 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 what is, but, what's convinced you, but, but what's convinced you of that, Peter? Because some would say, and I think I might be one of them, um, that nothing really has changed dramatically um, in, in the past few weeks since you and I started talking, in as much as, um, you know, there have always been those who side with government policy and who want lockdowns to continue because it suits them. And there have always been others like you um, who, who have disagreed with that policy. And I don't see that anything fundamentals change, has it? Well, if I was if I was writing history of the war, I'd say that probably the moment when it all began to go down plumbing was when the Great Barrington Declaration, mm. which ought to be a trumpet blast of science and reason in favour of, uh, of a different policy, uh, was destroyed uh, by the most outrageous smear techniques, and its authors mostly driven uh, into silence mm. or at least uh, caution and reticence. Uh, after that, of course, the, the, the then came the. The events of the autumn, which I, I still think, under cool examination and a proper report, would would quite possibly not bear the interpretation that's been placed on them. But they certainly put the sceptical cause very much on the back foot where it's been ever since. And we now come into spring. What's happened, of course, is that the, the vaccine has become uh, the exit ticket, which most people most people think uh, that it's, it's become the exit ticket. And the government was successfully able to spin an extension of lockdown last week uh, into what it claimed to be an announcement of, of coming release. And most people took that. And it was, it, it's, it, it was a beautiful example of the propaganda side. The, the, the Prime Minister actually announced a lengthy extension of the lockdown, which he began on January the 4th. Uh, but because he said, uh, that it was that there might be in, in future some relaxations. It was generally spun and reported and believed as a promise of future release. Mm. May happen, but uh, who knows? Uh, Brazilian new variant, uh, whatever it may be. I, I, well, I, I must admit, I say it won't happen, but it, there's plenty of reason to believe it might not, given the experience of the past. True, but I mean, by you taking the vaccine, that doesn't also change your view of vaccines in general. I mean, Dan Hodges kindly pointed out that you'd never been in any way recommending that people shouldn't take the vaccine. But an awful lot no, of people who seem disappointed with you doing it uh, seem to be on that side of the argument. I'm very grateful to, to Mr Hodges for, for acting as, as he should have done before as a proper opponent, being fair. And I'm, it's fantastically good of him to make this, this point because I can make it and people won't hear it, but he makes it, uh, people may. Mm. I haven't taken any... We, we did it actually very briefly discussed the vaccine issue, I think a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, when we talked about what the Spanish Foreign Minister had been saying, and I pointed out that what was going to happen was that people who don't get vaccinated are going to find that, that travel involves an awful lot of being held in quarantine mm. hotels and having, having sticks jabbed up your nose and down your throat mm. before you can move, and also being made to pay an awful lot of extra money. Uh, the point that I made in my column was that I, I won't go into tear-jerking details, but there are very important to me, close members of my family who I have not now seen for more than a year. Mm. And I'm sick of that. 
And if it if if, if getting this stupid injection is the price to pay for it, then I, it's one I'm perfectly willing to pay. I haven't, as I say, made any declaration about the, about the vaccine at all. Uh, it may not even work getting the vaccine. It may not the, 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 the travel to where the, the, that part of my family is is difficult enough at the best of times. But it seemed to me to be something I could reasonably do. And I said I could have kept quiet about it, but I thought yes, no, no indeed. Uh, and, and, and I mean the problem. The, the problem. Right to tell yeah, I think the problem for, for, for everybody uh, is that they see things in black and white nowadays and, and it's either black or it's white. There is no shade of grey. There is no possible movement that you can make apart from being either uh, in the black or in the white. And it's nonsensical to me um, that we all, uh, I mean, you've said this in the past that, you know, we're all on the same side. Well, maybe, but we don't all agree with everything that each of us says. And there are things that I disagree with you about still. And then there will no doubt be things that you disagree with me about. And there isn't this kind of amorphous mass of people um, who should all think the same way because wanting people not to have the vaccine is just as bad as wanting people to have it. Yeah, I think it's based partly, if people think that things can only be black and white, they only need to look at my beard, which doesn't seem to come under either. <laughs> but I, it, it's, uh, it, 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 the people like to have uh, people to hate, mm. I think. Uh, it, it, it simplifies life for them. And I think for a certain number of people, I became at the weekend a, a, a very usable hate object. Well, OK. Uh, but I, I, I do try to appeal to people who can think and who are prepared to research the facts before coming to conclusions. And that's always been my target audience. I want people to read. Uh, I don't want uh, admiration one minute and vituperation the next from the same people. What was that worth? Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's pointless, but it's an illustration of the, the very low level of public debate to which we have sunk. Yes. Uh, I blame this partly on the education system, but also partly on the general effects of social media mm. and on the curse of anonymity, which allows people to, to be extremely rude to you without in any way taking responsibility mm. for what they say. No, but it, it I, it, it, I, I have not reversed any of my positions. I think that those of us who were against this now have to make sure, as sure as we possibly can, that when the history of it comes to be written, uh, that the truth is told. And that if we can't prevent it happening again in the immediate future, that we might conceivably prevent it happening again in the long-term future. It's not, de defeat doesn't mean you give up the cause entirely, but it does mean that you, you, you have to recognize that you've been beaten on this particular battlefield. And you, there's no point in pretending that you haven't been. Well, do you live to fight another day, though? Because there were people saying to me at the weekend, I don't know why you're going to bother having Peter Hitchens on anymore uh, now that he's changed his mind. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the reason I have Peter Hitchens on is not because he says one particular thing and not another. The reason we have Peter Hitchens on is because he's a fascinating and interesting individual who has some very interesting opinions that I think should be heard. So, you know, I'm sorry to dis disappoint anyone who's expecting me to say to you, this is your last appearance on account of your ridiculous capitulation. That ain't happening. Uh, but well, is, there, I, I... is there another the battlefield on which uh, you can rejoin the fight? Well, I, I don't know. I think, I said that, that I used to think there would be an inquiry into this. I still hope there will be. I think it's going to be a very hard struggle to get that inquiry to look at the, the, the argument against, uh, against shutting down the country in the first place uh, because there will be so much pressure to make an inquiry about whether we should have locked down earlier. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that has to be the duty, particularly of the experts and scientists who uh, were willing to put their, their, their selves forward the Great Barrington Declaration. They, they it's, you know, in the, the proper, properly chaired and ordered atmosphere of a, of a decently, a decently brief public inquiry, it would be possible for people uh, such as professors, 
Gupta and Hennigan, for instance, to say the things that they wanted to say without being shouted down and, and be listened to and noted uh, by an expert panel. I think trying to get that the right panel picked, trying to get the right terms of reference has to be important, but it's the future we now have to be concerned about. It. Apart from anything else, I would reckon that within six months, the whole of, of the public concern will have shifted uh, to the economic after effects mm. of this, which we're going to be really begin to get the, the first indications of on Wednesday. Yes, well, I said at the weekend as well, uh, when asked what uh, should Rishi Sunak do, I said, well, he should stop the furlough scheme altogether because simply expanding it and extending it is merely putting off the inevitable, isn't it? I mean, surely the sensible well, thing to do would be to open up the economy, let people go back to work and actually earn the money that they're getting paid as opposed to just being handed it. Well, there is, of course, a grave danger in that, that you simply, you simply pull the rug out from a lot of people's lives. They, they, they cease to have a, a, a decent income, compelled to rely on the... On the very unpleasant circumstances of universal. Well, no, I don't mean no, I don't mean doing that without giving them any kind of ability to earn a living. I mean, open up the economy, make it possible for them to earn the living that they were making before they were put on furlough. But what will happen when the economy opens up? I I was walking around Oxford yesterday uh, in the beautiful sunshine. And I I noticed I keep a close eye that the number of shops, which previously were just shut. And now you look at them, they've been stripped out. Uh, the shop fitters have been and cleared them out. They were, they they are not. They have no hope of reopening. They, mm. These these have given up, and so and I think that is probably also true of quite a large number of small businesses. They've just gone. Yeah. So this reopening. Well, so if they well if they are then that, being that but if they are but if they are being supported falsely then Peter by taxpayers' money, what's the point? Well, the, 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 what, whatever was the point. The point was could, could only ever be the belief that if it didn't last very long. You kept the, the businesses turning and the, the employees still employed, so that their skills and everything else were not dispersed, which is a, a, a great danger. And so they, they stayed in the habit of believing they were employed. It's now gone on so long that it, it can no longer have that effect. But what we now have is a huge number of people are facing, and this will reach a long way up as well as a long way down, facing the personal tragedy of no longer being able to support the kind of lives they thought they were used to. And... And not just themselves, but in many cases, children as well will will suffer seriously diminished circumstances because we've destroyed a hugely important part of our economy and we haven't got any ability to regenerate yeah. it. And this is this is what is going to happen. Uh, this is what the government decided to do. This was when I said burning down the house to get rid of wasps. Mm. It's it's funny when you think of it. First of all, I guess a silly idiot dancing around setting fire to his house to burn down a wasp nest, but his house was a terrorist house. He didn't just burn down his own house. He burnt down lots of other people's as well. And there are, this, is, this is the ruins. But then surely like, now is the time. But now is the time then to look at what it is that is the remedy, because the remedy is not continuing to pay people for not doing anything uh, in the hope that somehow uh, that can just continue for the rest of time. Because one, there isn't enough money. And two, surely for, for their own mental capacity and health they need to do something else well my suspicion is that the government will continue to spend large amounts of funny money to try and keep people of, in in a better style the universal credit will and pretend that people are, are still employed when they're not because that's politically easier uh, than what you suggest which would be deeply unpopular i think uh, but the, the end result of this is that the, the whole problem will creep in by the back door and i i, I still think it will do so in the form of quite serious inflation, uh, which the government will not be too upset about because inflation uh, is a very good way of diminishing the size of the enormous debt that 
they have run up. Anyone who is in serious debt benefits to some extent from inflation. And I think that's what we face. And what this ultimately means is the destruction of the middle class. And you might say, well, I don't like the middle class. Who cares about them? But the problem with that is that civil societies depend on having a middle class. Mm. And once well, you've got rid of it, you sink to a much lower level of life. And one of the things that you, that you will find is much worse if you have a weak middle class is the health service, which everybody seems to have thought they were sacrificing their lives to save. Mm. Yes. I mean, my problem with, with not so much supporting the middle class uh, or having a middle class is that they shouldn't be being kind of cosseted and made to feel that they can do whatever they want, work from home, um, and never go back into a city again, never go back into an office again, um, and continue uh, to either be paid not to work uh, or to be or to be paid not to go in to work. I mean, either one of those things is not a recipe for what I regard as a proper society. No, but again, there's another side to that. See, a lot of people, employers up till the revolution of last March, uh, pretty much believed they had, they had if they employed someone, they they should provide an office for them to work in. Uh, and all kinds of other facilities, and that they should employ them on salaries. What we see now is that employers don't need to do that anymore. And I, I suspect a lot of employers will turn around and say, well, now you've proved you can work from home. We're closing the office. Mm. You can't work from home. Also, we're introducing these new contracts, uh, which are short-term, and you'll be paid for what you do. Uh, we're not, you don't have to turn up every day anymore, but on the other, if, if we have, happen to have a day when we don't need you, we, we won't be paying you. The whole nature of employment could change. So all those people who spend all that time thinking, oh, uh, someone's paying me to do nothing, I can sit and drink Chardonnay and all this will come to an end, it'll be back to normal, maybe it's quite a nasty shock. I don't think we will go back to normal. I think that we've, we, we've, we've been through something as big as a war, which is changed fundamentally the nature of our society and everyone's going to be discovering how that is and for a lot of people it's going to be very bad indeed I, mm. but but where will they turn who, but i think who, this is why people are disappointed um in in your announcement because i think they saw you as this kind of crusader on their behalf um and i'm not saying that's right or wrong but but that's i think what they saw because an awful lot of this and you've said this i think in the past you've written it um is dependent upon the reaction of the populace. You know, if the people just turn around, as they have done to a large extent in this, with this issue of wearing masks in school for the whole day, it looks as though that's not going to happen now because parents are just saying, my child is not going to wear a mask for seven hours out of a school day. That's just not happening. And if people are a little bit more resistant, perhaps, led by the likes of you, there might be a chance that normality will become sooner rather than later. Well, let's see. I, I don't. If, if if there is lawful, civilized resistance, then I, I, I should be among those who will be supporting it. But I, you can't lead when there's nothing much behind you. Mm. What? You know, I I I worked day and night before breakfast, before lunch, before supper, uh, into the evening, day after day after day, trying to make a case against this folly. For 11 long months, mm. uh, I resent quite sometimes very nearly totally alone in my trade. I resent very much anyone who suggests that I, that I didn't put my all into it or that, or that I didn't believe in it and I don't still believe in it. Mm. But I don't think that there is, there has been sufficient resistance at a time when it could have been any good. If people wake up now and say, oh gosh, this is all a terrible mistake, where were they? Particularly in my own trade. But in general, where were they in the months of March, April, May and June? When, and where were they in Parliament in the law when some difference could have been made and this could have been stopped? They weren't anywhere to be seen. It's mm. like they're turning on me now and saying, look, actually, uh, we have failed. 
Uh, I didn't fail. I, I, I kept on until you, but I, I'm just not going to pretend uh, that, uh, that you, can ca you can carry on and on fighting a battle with nobody behind you against an enormously powerful, immensely rich enemy who simply turns a steamroller on you. I've been steamrolled. I've, it's an experience I'm horribly used to. Uh, I recognize it. Uh, I've been steamrolled because I, 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 just, I, I always give this example. There are people in this country whose word is very is taken very, uh, not like me, I, 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 a lot of people, I just don't appeal to. There are people in this country, commentators, mm. uh, who, who instantly, if they take up a, a, a cause, attract a, a powerful following. And I would name among two of those, uh, Douglas Murray uh, and uh, Charles, now Lord Moore. Mm. And those were voices which, in my view, if they'd spoken out against this, could have changed the whole tendency of things. But among so many others, uh, they didn't. They looked. They 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 looked on as spectators. They didn't see it as their cause. Uh, I think they. I think the, the failure of people in that in, in that in that sector of the commentariat uh, to stand out against this is one of the reasons why we've we've we've, we've actually got nowhere. Despite having by far the better case, mm. you don't always win by having the better case, especially when you're up against propaganda financed by huge quantities of taxpayers' money yes. and, and, and deployed against you by very, very skilled skin merchants, spin merchants, as it has been. Mm. Peter, uh, delightful as ever to talk to you. We'll talk to you next week. I, for one, uh, would say thank you for all the things you've done, uh, but I don't think it's over yet, so I'm not going to quite say, say it with those kind of uh, defining words because, in the end, the fight continues because the lockdown continues and we need to get out of it. And I'm sure you still believe that that is the right way to go. Peter Hitchens, Man on Sunday columnist, what do you make of that? I think it's pretty unfair that Peter, as he does, has been somehow uh, lambasted for deciding that uh, he's been beaten by the government. I still don't believe that he has been. I still don't believe that, that the fight is over. I still don't believe uh, that, it, that the fight with the government uh, will stop. And I still don't believe that Peter will stop making his case, because why would he? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, just before we talk to Sebastian Gorka, a former Trump aide, of course, in the White House, let us have a listen and a watch if you're seeing us on YouTube right now or Facebook or Twitter where we're live streaming. Let's have a look at President Donald Trump from last night. But who knows, who knows, I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? <laughs> I mean, absolutely tremendous performance by Donald Trump. He was an hour and ten minutes late, like all great rock stars. Uh, he kept them waiting. They were absolutely gagging for it by the time he took to the stage. Let's talk to Sebastian Gorka, uh, his former aide, of course, in the White House. Sebastian, what a, uh, what a performance. It was, it was the Trump that we all know and love, absolutely in command of the audience. Um, funny, uh, off script a couple of times, um, and then very serious when it comes to issues such as the lockdown and the disastrous job that uh, sleepy, creepy Beijing Biden uh, is doing. <laughs> um, and first things first, it's the thing that you said at the very end, and you know, we remarked upon it, my wife and I were watching it live, he looks amazing. I mean, yeah. look at photographs of Obama on the first day in office and four years later. Look at photographs of George Bush. This is a job that chewed people up mm. and spat them out. They went gray. Donald Trump is like Benjamin Button. He looks younger than he did when he was sworn <laughs> in as president. So an amazing, amazing uh, evening. And of course, he did exactly what I predicted. He, uh, he, he made the left heads explode when he toyed with them. I wonder who should run in 2024. And he said, 
who, 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 I wonder who. And, and the audience, of course, went insane, mm. saying, it's got to be you, it's got to be you. And listen, mm. it was a wonderful thing to see him so buoyant, because I was saying, I mean, I was, I was quite active on Twitter last night while the speech was on, because Sky, of course, uh, your favourite TV station here in the UK, <laughs> couldn't quite believe, they, they had this correspondence sort of walking around outside the venue, in disbelief at the numbers of people that were there, uh, almost like they still don't get it. You know, they don't understand that Donald Trump appeals to the everyday ordinary Joe uh, and Mrs. Joe in America and that he does things for them that no politician can do. And uh, and they and, and their commentary on, on what he was saying had to sort of disappear in the end because they just had to they had to. There was There's no way, in my view, that any former president or former prime minister who's just lost an election could even command that kind of media presence or command the numbers of people who still want him to be there. Yeah, let, let, look, let's just remember a couple of things that are, whether you like him or not, are indisputable facts. Well, he was the 45th president. Every president since George Washington to Obama was in the same category. category. What do I mean by that? For every president since the American Revolution, the people chose either a politician, like a former governor a congressman or a senator, or a retired general like Washington or Eisenhower. Yeah. Every single time there were members of the quote-unquote swamp. Five years ago, America did something really shocking. We chose somebody who was not a former general or a politician. That sent an earthquake. It's like Brexit, right? It's very similar to Brexit. Mm. Sent an earthquake across the political establishment. We've had enough, had enough with the liars on both left and right. And that's why you know, it, it was a revolutionary choice. And that's why he's so popular. Mm. Despite being a billionaire from Manhattan, people relate to these guys. Look at the audience. I don't know if, you, if your footage showed the audience. It did, yeah. The, it was the, a very mixed was, audience, wasn't it? And full of kids. Yeah. Full of kids, full of youngsters. There's nobody, nobody in America who could say, I'm going to you know, a, a football stadium tomorrow in Poughkeepsie and fill it with tens of thousands of Americans. There would be over-registration by factors. Nobody, I don't care who you are, especially not sleepy, creepy Biden. Nobody <laughs> can do what he does. And also, think of this. Yesterday was almost to the day six weeks since we said goodbye to the boss at Andrews Air Force Base. A few of us were there. Mm. He got on the Air Force One for the last time. And I thought personally especially after the events of January the 6th and, and what happened in Congress, that he'd have to lay low for a few months before he could do anything political. Six weeks later, he's back, right. and it is wall-to-wall -wall coverage across American cable TV. Unbelievable. My favourite part, I think, was when he was talking about the World Health Organisation, when he said um, that when uh, he decided to leave the World Health Organisation, uh, he asked them, for the $500 million that we pay you, what do we get? Um and then he said, what does China pay? And they said, 39 million. And he went, well, that's ridiculous, right? So then they said, well, you can, you can come in for 39 million if you want. And he said, no, I don't want to. And pe the people were lapping it up, and he was telling the story really well. And then he said, so now they've gone back in, these idiots who are so stupid they don't know how to negotiate a contract. And they're paying the World Health Organization 500 million again to be back in. I mean, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? He gives away stuff that nobody who's ever been in the Oval Office gives away. Well, look at look at who he was for 50 years. He was an incredibly successful businessman in one of the toughest sectors in the world, which mm. is Manhattan real estate. 
So when he comes in, look, one of the most delightful things about working for Donald Trump in the White House is there were no sacred cows, absolutely none. If somebody came up to him, and I saw generals do this, and it was not a wise thing to do. If, if somebody came up to him and he said, okay, why are we doing X? Why are we spending billions of dollars on this nation's defense mm. if they're a rich nation? And the general says, well, because that's what we've been doing for 30 years. Right. I mean, I mean, he would explode because just because somebody's been doing something for a long time doesn't mean it's right. And that's how he fixed NATO spending. That's how he built the wall. That's how he did immigration reform. So this is a, this is a guy who said just because the swamp does things a certain way doesn't make it right. And they hated it. Look what's happening right now. Mm. Biden wants to go back to Iran and start giving them money again. He right. just convinced South Korea to release billions of dollars that had been frozen since 2019. This is the biggest state-sponsored terrorism, and we want to go back to the Iran deal. It was a dose of clarity. And what did he say yesterday? He says, enough. I love this bit. He said, enough with the lunatic left. And that's what it is, whether it's the whole you know, transgender thing with guys who can use girls' bathrooms in, in school or whether it's the, 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 the teachers' unions yeah. holding our kids hostage. He called it, as he saw it, open the schools back up. It's the same thing you're seeing in the UK. And it's just a dose of clarity mm. that you don't get from regular politicians, Mike. No, and it's what every parent in America right. wants him to say and wants to see happening, as indeed it is in this country. You know, we don't want the kids uh, to be sacrificed on the altar of lockdown. That's not what you know we're supposed to be doing. But, I mean, going back to old Biden, I see he started bombing Syria again uh, as one of his first manoeuvres into the world of peace that he wants to create. Yeah, this is uh, remarkable. People forget <laughs> the first president since World War Two uh, to bomb seven nations in one weekend was Obama. The, the guy who gets the Nobel Peace Prize before he's actually moved his furniture into the Oval Office yes. bombs seven nations in the same weekend. This, 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 is, this tells you everything you need to know about how corrupt the establishment is, whether it's the, the Nobel Committee yeah. in Scandinavia or whether it's the, the fake news industrial complex here in the UK. And of course, this is the guy... Everybody remember, it's hard, hard to re remember these things, but they called Donald Trump the warmonger That's right. for years. He is going to start a war, whether it's in the Korean Peninsula, whether it's with you know, Iran. What happened? Zero, right. zero new wars. We actually brought troops back in their thousands, put Iran back in their box, put North Korea back in their box. We, the guy who was accused of colluding with Russia day in, day out by the fake news media like CNN was the first president ever, and I mean ever, to authorize the targeting of Russian mercenaries in Syria. Under Donald Trump's presidency, we killed more than 200 Russian mercenaries in Syria who were doing bad things. But but he's the warmonger because he is colluding with Vladimir Putin. So you got to choose just, you know, to everybody who doesn't watch talk radio, Please choose reality. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we tell people. And what do you make of <laughs> Biden's next uh, target, um, the, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who he says he's not going to deal with? Yeah. So uh, God bless Rick Grinnell. So Ambassador Rick Grinnell, who was our former ambassador to Berlin before he became acting director of national intelligence uh, under Donald Trump. 
I think he tweeted it out just a few hours ago. He said this is a disgraceful repackaging of intelligence that brings nothing new to the table. We, we knew the involvement of the Saudi regime in the, the killing of this. He's not a journalist. Let's be clear. He didn't deserve to die. But this was a pro-Muslim brotherhood columnist who mm. wrote like three pieces for the Washington Post. The idea that suddenly there's new evidence that we're going to shame the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. It's garbage. It's, there is no new evidence. It's a repackaging to sell a point. And by the way, let's re remember something else that's forgotten. Donald Trump brought four new peace deals, four from the Middle East. The, 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 the area we were told would never, ever see a peace deal without Palestine. He brought Israel and, and numerous countries to the table. Now, all of that, that, that incredible edifice built by Donald Trump in the Middle East that brings stability is in danger because uh, not only has Biden said we're going to snub Saudi Arabia, it took him 28 days, Mike, 28 days to have a phone call with the premier of Israel, our closest ally in the Middle East. Why ideology and because he hates Bibi Netanyahu. Mm. That's an outrage. He had a two and a half hour phone call with a communist murderous head of China weeks before he called up the prime minister of Israel. What an outrage. Yes, it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Donald Trump uh, also last night said we're not forming a new party very firmly. Yes. We are the Republican Party. There is, as you and I have discussed before, a kind of a, a split in the Republican Party between the Mitt Romneys of this world um, and the larger part, I presume, which are the Trump supporting members of the Republican Party. So what does he do from now on? Does he does he have one of these rallies kind of once a month or something? What does he do? I don't, know if the, I don't know if the rallies are important uh, right now because he's got a couple of years for, for himself personally to, to run again. So maybe the rallies start in a year, year and a half. The most crucial thing, and I've said it publicly on, on my show, America First, there, there are too many swamp creatures who, who want to have fellow swamp creatures run for office. This is, this is the Mitch McConnell's. Did you hear yesterday when Mitch McConnell's name was mentioned? Yes. The, the leader of the GOP in the Senate. The boos, yeah. the boos from the audience were stunning. They were almost as bad as for Biden. So what we need is we need a new organization. We have PACs and, uh, and political action committees in America. We need a new PAC not to raise money for the president. He's doing very nicely, thank you, with his Save America PAC. We need an organization that's going to vet new candidates for the House and the Senate to make sure they truly are America first, make America great again uh, protagonists and, and pro proponents instead of having more swamp creatures like Mitt Romney, like Mitch McConnell run for office. That is crucial because we had a revolution. We had a quiet revolution, a peaceful revolution in 2016 of non-politicians -polit come in like Matt Gates, Jim Jordan and, and the president. That's what we need more of. So my re suggestion, we need an organization to make America great again in choosing the right candidates and it has to be created now i was watching uh, last night the sort of preamble to trump appearing and there was an amazing um sort of tribute uh, to rush limbaugh who we spoke yeah. about uh, last week and i didn't even know that he was deaf right that, yes that the fact that he was deaf was an extraordinary thing but what i loved about the uh, uh the, the 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 clips that they showed was the one where donald trump awarded him or announced that he was awarding him in the uh, in the house the um the, the medal and Nancy Pelosi standing behind him. You could literally see her <laughs> trying very, very hard not to throw up. I mean, it was incredible. Um, she now, of course, is banking on this big lawsuit coming to his way uh, up in New York. Because all, all the Trump haters are now saying, well, they may not have got him in the Senate, but, you know, they're going to get him in the southern district of Manhattan where he's been engaged in mortgage fraud. 
I mean, it's never going to stop this nonsense, is it? It's an outrage, especially when you know the fact that the, the chief federal prosecutor in the Southern District is Cyrus Vance yeah. Jr., who is the son, uh, the son of a Carter White House official. Right. So this is all politics. This has nothing to do with justice. And let's just be clear. Two impeachments, total failure. Then we had the Mueller probe, $40 million of taxpayer money, 50 FBI agents, hundreds of affidavits, hundreds of interviews to, to bring up what? Nothing. Jack diddly squat, nothing. <laughs> and now they think they're going to get him this time. Let's be clear. Look at the last 50 years of Donald Trump's career and tell me who usually wins when somebody goes up against the Donald. Yeah, it's the Donald. Right. So good luck, Cyrus Vance. Right. But also, I was listening uh, to a rather ludicrous conversation last night um, on this very radio station, bizarrely, but not by people that would normally be listening to this show, saying that they've, they've got this, you know, big pot of money. They're going to hire loads of attorneys. You know, this guy Cyrus Vance has given up his lucrative, um, you know, private law firm to go and work for the government because he's such a decent man. And you kind of going, hello, are you actually living in the real world? So we're going to waste a load of taxpayers' money. You're going to hire a load more lawyers and you're going to try and uh, somehow get uh, um, uh, some kind of charge against Donald Trump for which he will probably, if it ever comes, get off with. Yeah, let, let, let me warn those people. Let me give them a little parable of, of what happens to people who go up against Donald Trump. There was an organization created about two years ago to destroy Donald Trump called the Lincoln Project. Oh, yes. Absolutely shameful that they took Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president's name, as the name of their organization. These people were disgusting. They ran attack ads comparing the president to Hitler. I mean, just absolutely disgusting. As former Republicans, these were never Trumpers who were former Republicans who raised $90 million, $90 million that we now find half of which went to their private companies. The founders funneled 50 million into their own back pockets. Yesterday, they were at it again on Twitter, attacking conservatives. And I just curiously went to their website. The Lincoln Project website is down. Could it be because they found out one of their founding members, John Weaver, is a pedophile who was sexting with underage 14-year-old men? So, you know, there, there seems to be some confluence between never Trumpers and people who have other issues. Let me say that mm. uh, as loosely as I can. So that it's, it's not a good idea because this guy is a we, we elected Donald Trump because he's a fighter, Mike, because he never, ever gives in. And he fights for the forgotten men and women of America. You saw that last night on the podium. And Cyrus Vance and the rest of the deranged individuals out there, they're going to try, but they're going to fail. I guarantee it. And all they're going to do is push more people towards the Republican yes. Party. And, yes. and, and as uh, you were saying uh, last week, I think, the, the midterms are not that far away. And there's going to be some very interesting matchups going on, I suspect, between those people who have stood for the Republican Party but criticised Donald Trump um, and those that he would like to see taking their place. Yeah, let, let, let's be very clear here. This is a man who, in the last election, got more votes than any incumbent president ever in our history. Secondly, despite, and this is the, the truly stunning thing, Mike, despite four years of incessant libel, of being called a white supremacist, an Islamophobe, and a Nazi by the mainstream fake news media, Donald Trump acquired almost 12 million 
more votes than he did four years ago when he was elected. And to most amazing of all, given the calumny, given the lies said about him 24-7, is he had the highest percentage of black and his Hispanic votes since uh, for any Republican president since the 1960s. So that tells you one thing. Just like Brexit in the UK, the average guy, the average gal, sees through the miasma of propaganda and the lies and says, I just don't buy it. Absolutely right. Sebastian, great to talk to you as ever. Sebastian Gorka, host of America First podcast. Uh, find that on Twitter, find it on Facebook, find it on YouTube as well. Former advisor to Donald Trump. If you haven't watched the Donald Trump speech from last night, by the way, you really should uh, take a look at it, even if you only watch a little bit of it. It was uh, magical stuff. It was really uh, the best of uh, the best of what he does. And uh, very funny it was as well. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.